worship our God and give him the honor that he deserves. And if you could all bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we thank you that we can gather here this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. And um, we pray that in all um, circumstances that we would, Lord, turn to you, that we would trust in you, and we would be reminded of just the great God that we have, that we serve, that we would be reminded of the God who uh, is righteous and holy, and Lord, that even um, though all around us uh, we may face trials, difficulties, challenges, questions unanswered, but we would still know that you are God, uh, and still trust that you are good, um, even if we don't always understand but your ways are higher than ours. And so, Father, we just lift this morning into your hands. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth and who you are. And we, yeah, we just pray that your name would be praised and lifted high. So we thank you and pray this in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, beautiful Savior.
my mind is open, my Redeemer, though I fall, His love is sure, for Christ has paid for every failing, I am His forevermore. Tears in times of sorrow, darkest night undisturbed. Through the valley I must travel, where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven. And the strength in time of need, I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes His work in me. Zion City, where beside 
the King I want, for there my heart has found its treasure, Christ is mine forevermore, Christ is mine forevermore, Christ is mine Father, Lord, Father, we thank you and um, we admit that um, though we were made to walk with you, though you gave us life, um, Father, we turned away and uh, we seek worldly treasure, we seek um, the riches of this earth, Lord, and Father, we just pray um, that you would humble us, Lord, and remind us, Lord, um, that the riches of this world will pass, that this world um, will one day fade. Um, and in the end, Lord, um, you're preparing us for uh, the eternal life, um, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven, Lord. And Father, we pray that um, you would open our hearts, soften our hearts to your truth and to um, your reality, Lord. Um, and we pray that we will live our lives uh, knowing that Christ um, died and was raised again for our sins and that we have hope for eternal life through him alone and that we would live by this reality and that we would share this reality with all those around us. And we just thank you again for this time this morning and we just lift it into your hands and pray this all in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may all be seated. Now I'll turn the time over to Mike. Uh, thank you, Calvin, for leading us to a time of worship this morning. So good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for watching with us online this morning. Um, so on this beautiful Sunday, Let's all say, He is risen. Amen. And all God's people say, Amen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. 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 That's right. <laughs> first of all, if you are watching with us online for the very first time, we, uh, we welcome you. And also, this being the Communion Sunday, um, following Pastor Han's message, uh, we would like to ask you that if you know the Lord and are, have been baptized, and we would like you to, um, to join us. And so that please have the juice and the bread ready uh, later on after the message. And the bread and juice should be served by the, uh, the head of the household or the more senior Christian. And also, uh, 
because this communion Sunday, so we will not have a corporate prayer together. However, we still encourage you to, uh, if you have any prayer requests that you would like to pray for you, uh, please feel free to email to, uh, to Pastor Hans, Pastor Adam, Father Gordon, or any of the group leaders. And also, I'd like to remind you as well that please continue to support PCC uh, through your offering uh, by sending the check to the uh, church, or you can do it online through your local bank. Uh, so at this time, I'm, I would like to just uh, pray for us before we uh, receive Pastor Hans' message. So let's bow our heads. On Psalm 142, I cried I cry out loud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before, before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint, it is you who know my way in the path where I walk. Many are hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see that no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry out to the Lord and say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of living. Listen to my, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Father, this is a song of David when he's running away, when King saw what, what he was hiding in the cave. Father, I pray for each one of us that we have that same spirit of desperateness whenever we come to you, Father. Because only through that spirit that we can, that we know that we need you in every moment of the day, in every moment of the hour, in every moment of the minutes, Father. As we come before you, Father, cleanse us and purify our, our heart, our spirit, allowing us to focus on you and you only, Father. Allowing us to see the desperateness of our spirit, allowing us to see that we are just like David, running away. But we want to run to you, Father. We want to focus on you, Father. As we face through our many challenges, and right now in particular with the global challenge of this virus, Father, thank you for still allowing us to do this online. And for some of us, this is actually a special occasion that we're able to join others that we usually don't. And I pray that we can use this time wisely, whether we get to spend more time at home with our loved ones, or get to visit other people who are in, in uh, 
in need. Allow us to be used by you and allow us to not only thinking of ourselves, but also helping others. And most importantly, Father, help us to have this desperate spirit as David had, when he knows the only thing that we can be saved is focus on you, Father. So that's why we ask that, that I do, Father, to focus on you and you only. Also, I'd like to pray for many of the needs that are going on at PCC. We pray for the students who are going through their final exams and uh, in the last effort in finishing the semester and things has been very different for them particularly and also praying for the seniors. Many of the seniors who are not able to have a regular graduation, a regular prom, a senior banquet, a send away and Father, but I pray that you will make them feel special without this actual physical ceremony, Father, knowing that they have accomplished so much. And this is a, they have finished a, a stage of their life, Father, that you are very proud of them, Father, and that their parents and their friends and their loved ones are very proud of them, Father. We also pray for those who are looking, who has been laid off, who are looking for a job, Father. In different aspects of difficulties, Father, there are many, many people who are laid off. Help us to have compassion on them. Help us pray for them, Father. Help us reach out to them. We also pray for the new ACF leaders, Father. As they take on this new challenge and new responsibilities, Father. And I know many of them, not all of them, don't feel quite adequate. You know, Father, we never do. We never do because that's how we can depend on you and that's how we can grow in you, Father. And that's how you use us anyways, Father. The moment we feel that we are ready, the moment we feel that we are adequate, the moment we feel that we are ready, and we can do this, we're not. So help us to have a spirit of needy, of unworthiness, of wanting to reach out for your help, Father. Lastly, I'd like to pray for Pastor Hans' family, and as they are preparing to be moving to, our, uh, to Pittsburgh, um, we welcome them, and I know for the next couple of weeks, um, they have, a, the, the four boys are, will be going through a big final exams, and I pray for them, and pray for everyone, all the students who are going through this final push uh, for the end of the semester. And also after that, and I'm sure in the process, they will be busy packing and all that stuff. I pray. Uh, for the efficiency, there are many things they are juggling right now as they are prepping to come to Pittsburgh. And uh, we cannot be there physically to help them out, Father, but we definitely are either in spirit praying for them. 
and painful Irene especially, as she, as a mother of four, and help her to be a, a you know a a good mother and a good wife, father and. So we lift uh, today's worship to you, Father. We pray for Pastor Han as he brings us your message to us from the book of John. For in Jesus' name, amen. So right now, uh, I will read the scripture that Pastor Hans will be uh, preaching from today. That's from the book of John. chapter, end of chapter nine, also uh, into chapter 10. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father knows me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So may God bless the reading and the understanding and the, the application of his word. So let me now invite Pastor Han to uh, deliver the message to us this morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a pleasure for Irene together with our family to you this morning. And this passage, as I went through it, on the Good Shepherd is one that is particularly convicting to me as we have come to your church to be your shepherd. But this morning, what I hope to do is to help you understand that this is not only conviction and instruction and exhortation to me, but also for each one of us. And so as we come to the word of the Lord this morning, let us also come in prayer that God may be at work within us through his word, that we might become a more faithful and God-exalting people. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your great and precious word. And even as we have been going through the gospel given to us by your servant, John, we continually see further and further claims as to who he is and who he ought to be to we who are your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grasp these great claims made so long ago by your son who came down to walk among us. And Lord, I pray this morning also that you would help us to come to receive Jesus Christ, not only as one who has paid the penalty for our sin and brought us salvation, but also as the one who claims lordship over all our lives. And so we pray, Father, work through your word and bring conviction to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And so at the end of our passage last week in John chapter 9, there was a pronouncement that Jesus made concerning those who were hearing him. And he said in chapter 9 and verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And in reply, the Pharisees who were nearby said, Are we also blind? And Jesus' reply to them was, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And this is a confusing statement. Why is it that what the Pharisees say about themselves, if they had admitted blindness, that they would have no guilt, but if they say we see, they have guilt? 
And this is a particular saying that Jesus gives us at the end of chapter 9 that confused me to quite an extent. What, what does guilt have to do with the state of our sight or even what we claim to be the state of our sight? Now, one thing that helps is that if you look at the beginning of chapter 10, where Jesus begins and says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And one of the things we notice about chapter 10 is that there's really no break in the discourse that Jesus is giving between chapter 9 and chapter 10. And as many of you know, the breaks in our chapters, the verse numbering, and so forth, are not part of the inspired text. But rather, these were simply put into the text at a later time in order for us to be able to reference sections of it. And so there's really no inspired division between the ending of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. And indeed, what we find is that what Jesus will say here at the beginning of chapter 10 really explains this idea that he has told the Pharisees that if they were blind, they would have no guilt. But now that they say we see, their guilt remains. And in order to explain this concept, Jesus uses a metaphor, the metaphor of a shepherd who comes to a sheepfold. Now, this is one of those parables that I really like because uh, unlike some of the other parables were given in the Bible, Jesus actually explains this parable. And it's a good thing that he explains it because if he didn't explain it, I probably would not be able to get it. Because if I just looked at this parable, I would say, well, Jesus must be the shepherd. And indeed, he is a shepherd. But he begins by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And so what does this idea of being a door have to do with his role as a shepherd? And how is it that the idea of the door contributes to the idea that the Pharisees are guilty? And in order to see how Jesus' answer explains his condemnation of the Pharisees, I want to introduce to you some ideas. And these are ideas that actually you're already very, very familiar with, as you'll see, but I want to attach some labels to them so that we'll be thinking in these terms. And the particular terms I want to introduce to you are the ideas of a locution and an illocution. A locution and an illocution. And to give an example of a locution, those are simply the words that I actually say. And that's pretty much all you would have to think about if I was to give you a direct instruction. For example, listen carefully to the sermon. Please don't fall asleep. Those are direct instructions. I have a particular desire and I give you a literal instruction that I'm hoping you will pay attention to in order uh, to get across what I want you to do. The second idea is a little bit more complex, but as I said, you're already very used to this idea, an illocution. An illocution is something that is an implication of the actual words. They're not the literal meaning of the words, but an illocution is the implication of a text that the words themselves don't directly say, 
but we understand through the words. And so, for example, when uh, Irene cooks, uh, there's one dish that I particularly like, which is her curry. And at the beginning of our marriage, her curry was responsible for adding 30 pounds to my frame. And so when she served this curry, I might say something like, wow, this curry is really good. And there's a meaning behind those words that I've actually said. Now, certainly I do mean to compliment my wife on her curry. It is very good. And if she just simply took it as, oh, thank you uh, for this compliment for my cooking, she would be correct in doing so. But there's another meaning behind it. And that meaning is, could you do it again? Could you do it again? Another example of an elocution might be this. She might say to me, I think Tobiah has pooped. Now, the right response to Irene's observation would not be to sniff the air and say, yes, I do believe you are correct. According to what I smell, I would judge that there's a 97% probability that Tobiah <laughs> has indeed performed some type of elimination. No, that is not the right response. The right response, as every husband realizes, is to pick up the baby and go and clean him. Now, this idea of an illocution or an implication behind the text really helps us understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. And it really brings home this passage, not only for the Pharisees, but also for you and I. And so I might give you a third example that ties very closely to what it is that the Pharisees, or what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. So for example, suppose there's a boy, and this boy is playing ball, and he throws his baseball through a large picture window, and it comes crashing down. And then when he's confronted with this deed, he lies and says, no, that's not my ball. I didn't do it. Now, in response to the boy's lie, suppose that his father told him the story of the boy who cried wolf. What would we want the boy to do? Is the boy to say something like, well, that was very foolish. He shouldn't cry wolf when there were no wolves around. No, what we want this boy to do is to repent of his own lying. We want him to see the negative consequences, the negative effects of telling a lie. And so when we tell him the story of the boy who cried wolf, we're not just trying to tell him an entertaining story. We're trying to help him come to repentance. And this is what Jesus has done as he comes to the Pharisees. And so when the Pharisees say, are we also blind? And Jesus replies, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is looking for repentance. Pharisees, you are making a judgment about me, but your judgment works both ways. Your judgment of me makes you guilty before God. And so repent before it is too late. The purpose of Jesus's story or parable 
of the good shepherd and the gate is to convict those Pharisees who have ears to hear, to show them why their rejection of him makes them guilty. But I want to point out one further illocution, which is that it is the Apostle John who is recording these words of Jesus. And so this is a reminder that we too also need to make a judgment. What do we think of Christ? What do we judge him to be? And so if you remember last week, we looked at C.S. Lewis's argument that we have to make a choice of Jesus as a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And as we go through this parable, let's look at how Jesus develops this idea and applies it to the Pharisees and how then John seeks to apply the same parable to us. And so as we look at Jesus' story of the gatekeeper, the sheepfold, and the sheep, how is it that we are to understand this parable? And let me quickly read this for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then the first thing that Jesus says concerning this is, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And so the first question we might see answered here is, how is it that one approaches the sheep? And this is very important in terms of determining the role of a particular person or their place in the parable. How is it that one approaches the sheep? And the two answers are over the wall or through the door. And so we see on the slide that a sheepfold is generally some kind of secure enclosure. And oftentimes, the shepherd would stand at the door of the sheepfold as the sheep entered. And this would give the shepherd the chance to inspect each sheep as was coming into the fold. And in the time of Jesus, many times there was more than one flock that would be included in an enclosure. And the way that the shepherd would bring out his sheep is he would call to them, and the sheep would respond to his voice, and his sheep would follow him out. Now, if someone were to try to get at the sheep for some other reason, he couldn't take the sheep out at the gate because the gatekeeper would not open the gate to him. He would have to try some other way. And here, Jesus depicts himself as the door because Jesus is the one to whom the entire Old Testament pointed. He is the one who has life in and of himself. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you can think of images like the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Why was it that year after year, God had 
the Israelites bring him these sacrifices that would be altered, uh, offered by the priest. And the reason was he was giving them an image to help them understand one day the role of the one who would come, the lamb of the world who would take away its sin. I mean, the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And here's the problem. Jesus is the door because he is the only one through whom we can have life and light. He's the only one through whom salvation can come. And if the Pharisees thought that through their own obedience that they could come to God, then their way would be hopeless. And anyone who was following in the way of the Pharisees would be doomed to destruction. But even worse was that the Pharisees' approach was abusive. They had established a particular system of legalistic righteousness that only those who were at the very top of society could afford to attempt. And so their system set the Pharisees by themselves at the very top of society, a perch from which they could lord it over all those who they called sinners. In other words, those who couldn't afford to pay attention or have the leisure to obey the law and the complex system that the Pharisees had set up other than themselves. And so when the Pharisees, as we saw at the end of chapter 9, are rejecting Jesus and casting out of the synagogue any of those who would confess him to be Christ, what they are rejecting is they are rejecting the only way to salvation, and they're leading the people of Israel into condemnation. They, in effect, say, we see. This is the way to God. This is the way to life. But their path only leads to destruction. And so their guilt and the guilt of leading others into destruction remains. And so what is the locution that Jesus gives? The locution is simply, I am the door, or I am the good shepherd. But the illocution is stop trying to earn salvation through your own righteousness and teaching others to do the same. Repent and enter in through me. And this then brings us to the image of the good shepherd. And the imagery of a shepherd is a very important one throughout the Old Testament. And so going all the way back to David, we had the example of a shepherd boy who becomes king and the image of a shepherd who cares for a flock and protects them becomes one that is developed and used throughout scripture. We see warnings against false shepherds in the book of Ezekiel and Amos and God's woes that he pronounces upon these false shepherds that take advantage of the sheep. And so Jesus then looks at three categories of those who would come to the sheep. And the first category is those who have come to plunder the sheep, those that would use another gate to approach the sheep and lead them in ways that do not lead the sheep to life, but rather exploit the sheep and take advantage of them. And so these are those who show other ways 
to shout salvation. Those who would claim other kinds of revelation. And in our day to day, we have many who would lead us astray. The most obvious example would perhaps be those who teach a certain form of prosperity gospel and say, if you follow in this way, if you give to the Lord, in other words, give to me, then you yourself will find prosperity. And this is just another way of plundering the sheep. But we also not only need to be discerning and cautious about those false shepherds that would lead us into wrong forms of Christianity, our society, our culture today, tempts us with so many other ways that say, this is the way to fulfillment. Find yourself in what you do. Find yourself in the kind of entertainment or the activities that you enjoy. This is the way to satisfaction. This is the way to life. This is the way to fulfillment. But these ways all lead us to destruction. And so one of the illocutions of the text is to consider who is the good shepherd? What is the end that he leads us to? And so if we follow some of these false shepherds, what is the end that they bring us to? If I seek my purpose and fulfillment and entertainment, what is the end result of that for my life? If I lose myself in my career and seek to rise as high as I can within the profession that I've chosen at the end of my life, where will that bring me? And so one of the things that John calls us to do is to, we are following, to be discerning us to live our life for. Will we live our lives in order to satisfy ourselves or to follow these false shepherds? And if we do, and we do not choose Jesus Christ, where do we come? Do we come to pasture or is our destiny destruction? And so think of some of the ways that Jesus has given us to understand him. And here he distinguishes himself from even those who may seem like they are good shepherds. But there is a difference here because although the hired hand is not one who comes in to take advantage of the sheep, he does not have a concern and a love for the sheep. And when danger comes or when some self-sacrifice needs to be made, these false shepherds will not watch over the sheep and will not protect them. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And this aspect of Jesus' parable is both liberating and convicting. It's liberating because there is no other door than Jesus Christ. It is liberating because he is the good shepherd. And no one other than him can lay down his life and take it up again. And so there will be no shepherd like Jesus Christ. And he is the only one that we look to 
in order to find the purpose, to find the salvation that we need. And yet this is also convicting. Because in one sense, each one of us has this position of a shepherd or a leader, whether it is within our families, whether it is within our church, whether it is in our communities, we all have a particular influence that we use. And the question that this text poses as an illocution is, what kind of goal do we use our influence to lead people? Do we lead people toward the things that would lead them to life and light? Do we use our influence in ways that lead people to Jesus Christ? Or do we direct people to a kind of salvation that will not truly deliver? And so when we see how Jesus offers himself to us, we are to look at him as uniquely providing what we need. But part of the illocution of the text, because it is John who is now offering Christ to us, we too consider how do we lead those over whom we have influence. And so as, for example, Calvin led us in worship this morning, a question that he might ask himself and examine his heart is, why do I lead worship? Am I leading worship for a reason to exalt myself in some way? Or am I striving to bring people to the one true shepherd? Am I directing them toward the gate? For myself, a struggle that I go through each week is, why is it that I seek the role of a shepherd, the role of a pastor? Is it so that I can profit in some way for myself? Am I seeking my own gain? Or am I directing all of you to the one true and good shepherd? And so this is a passage and a teaching that is meant both to liberate us from needing to provide that kind of salvation, from needing to be the kind of shepherd that only Jesus Christ could be. But at the same time, it is convicting because it urges us to consider our own role and to see how we direct those over whom we have some influence. And then again, another thing that John urges us to do that we can see as we come back to this idea of locution and illocution is that John tells us at the end of this passage, there was again a division among the Jews because of Jesus's words. And many say he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? While others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so if we remember the argument that C.S. Lewis gave us of a liar, lord, or lunatic, what John urges upon us at the end of this passage is that we too must decide what do we say of Christ. And so in chapter 9, we saw the argument that Jesus was a liar. The Pharisees were saying, this man is a sinner. He's a liar, and he knows he's lying. 
Another option that we see at the end of this passage in chapter 10 is that he's a madman. He's oppressed by a demon. Okay, he might be saying these things, and he might be sincere in what he's saying, but he's a madman who thinks he's telling the truth while he's actually a lunatic. But what John tries to help us to see is that Jesus' words and his actions and deeds entirely fit with one another. The kind of deeds that Jesus performs in opening the eyes of the blind, in seeking the good of those whom he is leading, these are not the words of a liar. These are not the words of a lunatic. And so if we reject seeing Jesus as a liar, if we reject seeing him as a lunatic, then we must receive him as Lord. But my difficulty is this. It's that even as I receive Jesus as my Savior, I haven't really received Jesus in the fullness that he demands. You can think of a passage like in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Because Paul has a certain contentment that arises from having received Jesus in all that he has claimed to be. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And when I am discontent, it is because, in effect, I've said in a certain way, Jesus is not enough for me. And so have I received Jesus Christ as he has offered himself? How is it and what is it that I seek to gain good from life in? Am I living my life as though my future is secured? Am I receiving the kind of blessings that Jesus seeks to convey to me? And so one of the things that we're starting to run into in the second month of our social isolation is that people are becoming more and more discontent. And we see evidence of this through the news as there are demonstrations and protests and even people who are angrily demanding their right not to wear masks when they go into stores. And we heard the story yesterday of uh, some Oklahomans who were threatening store employees who were demanding, rightly so, that these shoppers use masks. And the state of Oklahoma even rescinded that requirement of masks because of these violent protests. Well, where is it that we are seeking contentment? Are we receiving the blessings, the kind of blessings, as Jesus, as our good shepherd, leads us out into pasture for? Do we take Jesus as he has offered himself to us? And let me suggest a few ways we can do this. Yesterday, Saturday morning, we had a wonderful prayer meeting. There were so many of you who joined us for prayer, and that was such a blessing to me as I saw so many brothers and sisters gathering together to ask God for forgiveness for our sins, to ask of him those things that we needed, and to praise him for being our God. I urge you, please try and make that time to join us on Saturday morning for our prayer meeting. 
also the fellowship groups. One of the great privileges Irene and I have had is to join many of you in the different fellowship groups. And if you are not currently part of RISE or ACF or one of the cell groups or the youth fellowship, please come and join this community because the community is one of the instruments that the Good Shepherd seeks to bless us through. And so join the fellowships of this church, enter into the communion of this church that we might celebrate and enjoy our Lord together. And then finally, many of you are helping out and participating in some of the outreach we are trying to do in the community that Jay and Xiaobo have been coordinating. And if you have something that you can offer, or even if there is something that you would need, that is all part of our Christian community. And so please do not be hesitant to express the needs that you have to this community. The community of God, the great shepherd who keeps his flock, this is one of the ways in which we can both participate and partake in the blessings that Christ has come to offer. And so uh, this Sunday is our communion Sunday. And one of the ways that we visibly show that Jesus Christ is the one who comes with blessing in his hand for us is we partake in those visible signs of the bread and the wine. And the locution, the literal thing, is that we drink a little bit of juice and we eat a little bit of bread. But there's a greater meaning behind those signs, just as there was a greater meaning behind the figure of speech that Jesus used to explain himself to the Pharisees. Because when we partake in communion, communion is a sign that we partake in Christ himself. And Christ is the one who is able to lay down his life and take it up again, showing that he is the source of life. And so as we partake in communion, one of the realities that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is that his life has become our life. And the forgiveness that he bought for sin is applied to our lives. And so I ask you now to prepare your hearts and your minds as we will be gathering together to take communion. And so at this time, I would ask those who are going to be serving communion to please uh, get the elements, the bread and the wine, and prepare to serve those that you are gathered together with. And I will give you a few moments to go and get those elements if you haven't already. I would also like to say that the reality to which communion points is that we have truly participated. We have truly received Jesus Christ. And so in our church, the way we reflect that is that we welcome all those who have been baptized to partake in communion with us. But if you have not been baptized, we urge you not to take communion this morning. Because communion is a sign that we have joined ourselves to Jesus Christ. And if we partake in communion when we haven't really received Jesus into our lives, as the scripture says, we drink and eat judgment onto ourselves. A warning that I think is especially poignant in light of the warning that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. Let us reflect 
the true situation of our lives. And if you are someone who needs to come to Jesus Christ, please come and talk to one of the elders and refrain from taking communion today. But if you indeed have received Jesus Christ and have been baptized, we welcome you now to partake in communion with us. And so, um, uh, elders and leaders of the families in the church, please take this time now to serve those in your family who have been baptized. And so the bread and the wine symbolize a certain reality that we have partaken in as Christians. And as we are now preparing to take communion, I actually got out of order, I apologize for that. But we also say the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a reflection of those foundational Christian beliefs that we have that we are reflecting as we partake in this communion. And uh, one thing that you may not know is that the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed correspond, there are 12 affirmations corresponding to the 12 apostles. And I have a bit of an explanation this morning because we are changing what we recite in one small respect, but a significant respect. And that is in that the fourth affirmation, we say that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended to hell. Now that last phrase, he descended to hell, is found in some early versions of the creed and not others. However, the idea that Christ descended into hell is not an idea that is well supported in scripture. And it's also certainly not a central pillar of the Christian faith. And because our intent is to affirm our agreement with the central pillars of the Christian faith, we have decided to remove that phrase. Now, if you would like to hear more about that, uh, about what that, why that phrase was there and why it is not very well supported in scripture, in the email that you received by which you joined this morning, our uh, Zoom service, there's also a link in there to a video by R.C. Sproul on the language of the creed, and he explains why that should not be part of the creed. Um, but now let us all rise together and repeat together with me the Apostles' Creed, which expresses the foundations of our faith. And if we go to the next slide, the next slide begins the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now take the bread and the wine. And as Jesus took the bread, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Let us take together and eat. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take this together and drink. Let us please rise now um, as we will respond with our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Please remain standing for the benediction, and after the benediction, I would ask that you please uh, stay on for a very important update from our church council. And so now receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May God bless you this week. Gordon? It's been a special morning uh, having our praise time together, being able to pray together and hearing uh, Pastor Han's message uh, about the Good Shepherd. Uh, one of the things he alluded to during that time was how PCC continues to be a salt and light uh, during this time. And so just updating a few things that you guys may know already, uh, Jay and Shabo have been our point people in distributing out uh, masks and gloves and food. And I just wanted to thank the many people who've contributed um, these items to Jay and Shabo and then um, have actually gone out and bought food and delivered these masks 
or Jane Shaba, uh, Shaba, uh, Shaba, excuse me. Uh, here's a picture of um, masks that were made by Diane. Uh, she went to her sewing machine and made 12 masks and we just donated them over to Jay and Shabo. So uh, we'll see where those end up. But I'm very thankful how creative and how generous uh, you've been uh, during this time. This is one of the interesting times when our church has an opportunity to do things we don't normally get to do. And I'm very thankful that we're able to not only meet the needs of our members, but also to that of the community. Uh, if you joined us for prayer meeting earlier this morning, you know that we're switching uh, our ACF leaders. Um, our ACF leaders. Um, our ACF leaders are, sorry, I'm not sharing my screen here. Sorry. There they are. Our ACF leaders are switching right now from uh, our current leaders to our new leaders. I don't have pictures of all of our leaders, I'm sorry, but it's been really wonderful working with our current leaders. And as I understand now, I think we have 10 new leaders coming on to serve us in ACF. So continue to pray uh, for ACFers, as we mentioned earlier, who are taking uh, finals. The pit uh, ones have already graduated and uh, CM1, CMU ones coming soon. So very thankful uh, for God providing us uh, faithful leaders in the past and new leaders coming on uh, to serve us this coming year. So what Pastor Hans just mentioned to us is that the council has been meeting quite frequently over the last few weeks. And uh, here are some of the things that have been done uh, that they wanted us to update you with. Um, the Chinese congregation has been having prayer meetings uh, very regularly. And um, Paul let me know that, you know, many are attending. It's so wonderful uh, to see the Chinese congregation growing and taking uh, time to pray together. As Pastor Hans mentioned just yesterday, um, we joined an ACF meeting. I know ACFers have been praying Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and uh, we joined together yesterday and Saturday. And really, I was brought to tears, as many of you, hearing um, the adoration and the confession time, really something special. So I'll echo what Pastor Hans mentioned already about joining uh, together uh, in prayer meetings. That'll be every Saturday uh, starting at 10 a.m. We'll send a link to you, so please plan on joining us. Uh, we spent time evaluating when we can come back together. Um, we don't have a date. Uh, we're looking for ways to um, meet the needs of our congregation uh, when we do come back together. Uh, there have been many suggestions and strategies about how to meet and when to meet and uh, guidelines and precautions we need to take. So please pray for us as we find ways to uh, come back together. All of us are looking forward to that and the council especially has been working hard on trying to find a way to bring us back together. Um, Albert, our treasurer, has let us know that in March our finances uh, were in the black. Uh, we weren't sure what the financial uh, situation was going to be. 
over this month, but he also assures us that April, also we're gonna finish in the black. I don't have the exact numbers for you. Look in the bulletin uh, and you'll see some of the um, numbers about where we are plus and minus, but thankfully during this time, uh, you guys have kept giving your tithe. Thank you for doing that. But also um, God has helped us through many things. I hope to bring you good news about other things that has happened during this time. At the beginning of the time, we've had to kind of close down PCC. And so we're trying to find ways to keep PCC safe. And one of the things that our curator did, Guanlan, uh, installed cameras in the front and the rear kitchen area. So you're going to be filmed as you come into PCC. So we have to let you know you're gonna be on camera uh, every time you enter or leave PCC, but it's also for our safety of our church and our staff. So just be aware that we're doing everything we can to have um, those installed. So those are our council highlights for today. And thank you for praying for the council, especially as they meet. Pastor Hans spent, you know, his time talking about the Good Shepherd. So he prepared questions for us for our discussion groups. During White Harvest, we ask you to stay during this time and discuss if you're with your groups. If you want to go to Sunday school, Kevin is still running his Sunday school. We're asking that you finish your White Harvest group or Sunday school by 12, so you can join us back together in the lunchroom uh, at 12 o'clock. So I'll turn the time over now to Dorson will help us break out into our White Harvest groups. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us together today.